0: Good morning everyone, please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning which comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 as we will be looking at verses 1-5 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1-5 through 5. Hear with me then the reading of God's word Finally brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as, ha- as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. As far as the reading of God's word. Now, this entire letter to the Church of the Thessalonians is really an epistle about hope. As hope consists of the believer patiently and with full confidence anticipating future promised benefits. And it's this hope that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. We see this, for example, in chapter 1, which from its very outset has an eye towards Christ's return. Paul tells the saints that when Christ comes from heaven, their affliction will end and they will be in glory with him. In chapter 2, he begins with telling them that the day of the Lord has yet not come, so they are not to lose hope, because God has purposed for them to obtain glory when Christ returns. And so it's that hope of that future glory that Paul points them to as they encounter struggles and are dealing with their thoughts and emotions which have been rattled by fear and worry. And yet, throughout the history, Christians have been caused to have many doubts. Doubts which have been readily apparent to us in this epistle alone. Doubts of our own salvation. Doubts if we are really one of God's elect. Doubts over doctrine. And concerns about the Lord's return. But what these saints experienced is not all that dissimilar the same doubts and worries we may have had at some point in all Christian lives. But the one thing we can always turn to and remember, and be encouraged by, when doubt creeps in, is this one vital truth, and that is this, that the Lord our God is faithful. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, we read this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it is our Lord's faithfulness that as Christians we must dwell on often. And consider, because in times of distress, this truth will work to brace us. God is faithful And he is faithful because God is true by nature And so he can never lie Likewise, God is immutable and unchangeable And so he will never go back on his word And it is this faithfulness of the Lord That ought to be our basis For that future hope What God has promised He will fulfill and he must fulfill Because to not is to deny himself this is what Paul tells this, uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In Genesis chapter 12, when our Lord promised to Abraham and his descendants that they would inherit the land of Canaan, even though time and time again the nation was unfaithful, God kept his promise and remained faithful, delivering on his promise. In fact, we read in Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood him. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands; Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And it is the same reality that Paul wishes to impress upon the saints in Thessalonica who have had many doubts and questions. Be assured that all that you have been taught by spoken word, or epistle he says to them will come to pass because even though we fall short even though we falter and we fail our Lord is faithful and Paul points out three areas where God is faithful and it is this that we want to focus our attention on during our time this morning how is God faithful and so point one is God answers prayers Point two, God establishes and guards. And point three, God directs our hearts. Now let us take a look then once more at verses one and two. Paul says, Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Now last week we read that Paul prayed for the saints, And as we look here in these first two verses of chapter 3, Paul now asks for them to pray for him. You see, Paul wasn't above asking for prayer, as Paul understood. Just like we pointed out last week that God works through means. And one way he works to accomplish his purposes is by the prayers of the saints. And so prayer is something that we as believers are to mutually engage in for the good and benefit of one another. Paul knew that if he was going to be successful in his stewardship, he would need prayer. Just as he knew when he prayed for the saints that if these believers in Thessalonica were to have their hearts comforted, and if they were going to be established in every good work like we read last week, they too would need prayer. Now what does Paul then pray for? First, he asks for prayer that the gospel would speed ahead or go forth without being hindered. And also that it would be honored. And secondly, he asks that he and the other disciples may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Now what we should find interesting, yet not surprising, is that Paul places the importance of the spread of the gospel over his very own well-being. But that's because Paul understands that he is merely one of many vessels used by God to deliver a saving message. If Paul was to perish, the gospel must still continue to go forth and take effect. And so he puts his own needs on the back burner, because he understands the importance of the gospel, knowing that there's a massive problem facing the entire human race. And that is that apart from Christ, there is no hope. Paul explicitly says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, when he says to the Gentiles, Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And how was it that they received that hope? Through the hearing of the word. And so we see here in verses 1 and 2 that both prayer and evangelism belong to the church and are our duties. In chapter 6 of Ephesians, when Paul lists all the Christians' armor, you notice that for the most part, everything he lists is to help us defend ourselves against the enemy. You have a belt, you have a breastplate, shoes, and a shield. But Paul also describes an offensive weapon as well in verse 17. when He says that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, he says. You see, God has called us not only to be defensive against the devices of Satan and his minions, but also to be on the offensive in prayer and in declaring the word. Because it is the gospel that is the only cure for lost sinners. It is the gospel that gives hope to the hopeless. And yet the preaching of the gospel is tied to prayer because we do not convert anyone by our words. God does. we proclaim the message and we pray that God's will be done and here it should be apparent to us all that the idea that some Christians have that there's this grace that every single person's been given and all you need to do is believe and so it's incumbent upon us to make the gospel persuasive enough, this is where it falters, because if we already have everything that we needed to believe inside of us and all we needed was someone to be persuasive enough for us to believe then why pray to God? Right? You pray because you believe God will do something. You believe that God will answer the prayers of His people and glorify Himself by converting hearts. God will open sinners' hearts like He did with Lydia. And so we are to do what we have been commanded. Pray and proclaim, knowing that God is faithful. He says His word will not return void. And those whom He's predestined as sons and daughters through Christ, according to His purpose, will believe. Because as we're promised in Romans chapter 8, that those He's predestined, He calls. And those He calls, He justifies. And those also, He glorifies. And our Lord will make sure of it, as He will put the Spirit in them. He will implant the Word in sinners' hearts. And God cannot fail, and He does not lie, for He is faithful. He is faithful, even when evil and wicked men try to stop the gospel's progress. This is why Paul asked for prayer, that they may be delivered from those within the church who do not have faith and try to impede the gospel's progress. Think back to 1 Thessalonians, when we read about Paul's great longing to return to the church to see if they were somehow tempted by the tempter. But he said, what? He said, Satan hindered us. He could not get back to them. Right? It's the great adversary's goal to thwart or at least hinder the spread of the gospel. But what resulted? We read that Timothy was able to go back and exhort the church and strengthen them in the faith. And today, Satan has those who try to stop the gospel's progress by attacking its ministers. But even so, no amount of opposition can defeat the gospel. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes to Timothy, saying that because he preached the risen Christ he suffered, and is bound in chains as a criminal. But listen to these, this powerful statement that Paul makes next. He says this, but the word of God is not bound. Man can do physical harm to those who preach Christ, but they will never be able to bind or harm the gospel. And yet, even to the lowly preacher, God is faithful. Man can do nothing to us apart from the will of God. Man cannot extinguish our life even but for a second before God has appointed our end to be. Look at Peter as an example, as he sat in prison in Acts chapter 16. In verse 25, we read that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. You see, the bars or the guards within that prison could only hold Peter as long as God had ordained. And when God purposed Peter to be free, nothing or no one would stand in his way. And so we see that God is faithful in answering prayers. He tells us, pray, and he responds by opening doors for the gospel to advance and delivering us from evil men who do not have faith and who will try to interrupt his progression. And the exact same thing, though, that Paul is experiencing, these saints in Thessalonica were experiencing. They were the recipients of the gospel being proclaimed to them, but all around them were evil men in the church who were trying to drive them away from Christ. And so that they do not get down about their situation, Paul reminds them that although there are these people in the church who will attack you, they have no faith. But Christians, you can be of good cheer because the Lord is faithful. He will keep you and gird you up in His strength. This is our second point. God is faithful in establishing and guarding the saints. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me, please. Paul says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Here Paul points out two things that the Lord will do for the believer. He will establish or strengthen us, and he will likewise guard or keep us. Now, Robert Rollock says that in faith there are two things, the giver and the receiver. God gives and the soul receives. And so the ground of our stability is in the giver because the giver is immutable. What he gives to you and I, he will not take away. You can be sure that if God has called you to his glorious kingdom through Christ and the Spirit resides in you, That he will never take that away. And in fact, that means that he will do everything to keep you because he will suffer to lose none who are his. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Paul says a sign of God's faithfulness to his children is that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, and when you are tempted, he will provide the escape so that you may endure. Right? This is God's promise to us. And so even if heaven and earth were to pass away, God's word would remain. And because it is God and not us who will strengthen us and who will guard us, Paul can say that he places his confidence in the Lord. That the saints will be obedient and remain in the faith and never fall away. Oh, how weak and how pitiful man is. For we would fall away, the second temptation enticed us. Which is why Paul puts his confidence in God to keep us and not in the Thessalonians. This ought to also cause us to praise God, who, unlike us, is wonderful and faithful. He is a Father who loves us with an everlasting love. So do not take for one second the glory that belongs to Him. That's what people do who deprive God of the whole work of our salvation as the cause and the keeper of our faith and give any of it to the will of man. Our salvation. And its perseverance depends on the unchanging nature of God who protects us from the full weight of the adversary's power and who has already granted to us victory in the gospel. This is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer that God would deliver us from the evil one. This is the prayer that Christ himself prays to the Father in his high priestly prayer. That he would not take us out of the world but that he would keep us from the evil one. And the will of the Son is the very will of the Father. And so we know that the Father will answer the prayer of Christ. And so now by his power and his strength, we are kept secure. And it is by that same power then that we obey. God stabilizes us and also is the cause of our growth. Remember what Paul tells the church in Corinth when they were foolishly dividing over who they were following. One follows Paul, another Apollos. But what does Paul say? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It is God who stabilizes and grounds us in him by his word. That is why Jesus later, in his prayer from John 17, says this, Lord, sanctify them in the truth, and your word is truth. It is God who strengthens us in every good work, but we must exercise ourselves in His means of protection, which He has given us, which is His Word. Let us see, then, by Christ's words, the importance of Scripture, the importance of being in it daily, because we are daily attacked. But through God's help, we will have the desire to, and we will want to honor our Father by delighting and keeping His commandments. And yet, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. God's strength and protection are sufficient. When we are weak, God, our support is strong. This is why Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come and I will raise them up on the last day. You see, Christ will lose none that are his and that's because we are constantly being strengthened and protected by God. How many of us have at some point in our lives made some New Year's resolution? I'm going to run a mile every day. I'm going to stop eating candy bars at night or something like that. But about a week or so after we make this resolution to ourselves, we become so weak that we break that resolution and go right back to our old pattern. You see, we are faithful to ourselves. How can we ever think that we can on our own be faithful to God? If our faithfulness was the grounds of our remaining in the faith, we'd all be out. We'd all go back to embracing the old Adam because our remaining in the faith is grounded in God's faithfulness He through His divine power energizes the weak and the vulnerable and brings us into motion to do His will He is the reason that no one or nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because He is faithful that faithfulness is seen towards us as we read in verse 5, by directing our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Here's our third and final point. When we come into this world, we come into this world with hearts that are crooked because of sin. And so our hearts are angled away from God's laws because we have no love for God and so we have no love for His Word. But the precious message we receive in the Word is that what has been made crooked by sin is then made straight by God. It is God who directs the hearts of kings and rulers and all men in general. And this is what He promised to do for all His beloved children. Strain our hearts so that we have a desire to walk in His ways. And why is the condition of the heart so important? I mean, we seen last week Paul prays, God will comfort their hearts. And this week he prays that he will direct their hearts. Well, it's important because the heart is like the steering wheel of the body. Right When you drive your cars, if you hold the wheel straight, the car goes straight. If you turn left, the car goes left. And that is the function of the heart in every person. The heart, by nature, is turned aside. And where your heart goes, so does the rest of the members of your body. But it is the Lord who puts within us a new heart. He makes what's crooked, straight, and enables us by his very power to walk in paths of righteousness. That's why Paul prays for the Lord to direct their hearts. Because he understands that love and every other virtue that is necessary to walk in obedience And to remain steadfast in faith and not fall away is only produced in us when we have a changed heart. When we turn away from self-love and instead turn to loving God and our neighbor. And Paul knows that what we love most we will follow after and obey. If it's your job or if it's another person, whatever it is. If you love it or them most, you will happily obey all of their demands. Whatever they ask, you will happily give up. And so Paul asks that God would direct our heart toward him and his love, because only then will will we be willing to obey all of our Lord's commands. Paul also asks that the Lord would direct their hearts to steadfastness of faith. Here Paul is asking that God would cause them to persevere until the end. This is so much about what this letter has been about, as we said earlier. This is an epistle about hope, and we see that here. The saints need the Lord's strength to faithfully endure until Christ returns. And they've learned that much must still occur before that happens. So Paul tells them, Brothers and sisters, you are going to be in for a long and difficult journey. And so they need the grace of God to bear up under the weight of the opposition. But he has made it possible so that we can. Paul says this actually in Romans chapter 5 verse 1-5, And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, God's love, brothers and sisters, has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit so that now by faith we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Even in the midst of suffering, as we await our Lord's return, we are being sanctified and conformed into the likeness of Christ. That's what the Christian life is about. And all of this is true only because of God's faithfulness to His people and His promises. But as His people, we are likewise called to be faithful to Him. When the fruit of the Spirit is described in Galatians chapter 5, one of its characteristics is this, faithfulness. God has granted us faith and has been faithful to us and in return called us to be faithful to him is this too much to ask in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 Christ says this do not fear what you are about to suffer behold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation be faithful until the end and I will give you the crown of life. And so we must ask ourselves, am I faithful to Christ? Because it is only the faithful who will receive the crown of life. Those who have adulterously given themselves to another will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yet, it is only because Christ has proven His faithfulness that we can be faithful. Christ was that living example of faithfulness. He showed his faithfulness in obeying the will of his Father perfectly. Christ likewise is faithful, delivering on his promise to the disciples in Matthew chapter 28 that he would be with us until the end of the age, and he has not disappointed. And It is because of Christ's faithfulness and not ours. This is the basis of our hope as well as the guarantee of our heavenly inheritance. Please, brothers and sisters, bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, we come to you in the all-prevailing name of Jesus. We ask, Father, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that you would open doors for the gospel to be proclaimed so that you may be honored. We pray that you protect your ministers and all Christians alike from the temptation of the adversary. And we know that you will, for you are faithful. We ask, Lord, for your continual strengthening and safekeeping of our hearts as we await the return of your Son.
1: And it is in his name we
0: pray. Amen.